And so, are you guys ready? You open up your faith. Amen. Okay, then we saw up to the third blessing this morning. So we saw verse 7. And now let's move on to the fourth blessing. So what was the first blessing? The first blessing is to be holy and blameless. You have been predestined to be holy and blameless. So listen carefully. This is God's predestination. It's not out of my efforts, but through God's church, He will form this in you. It's not a theory. That glorious church has been established in this season. And our church has been uh, around for about 25 years. And in 2003 was when we received the first re revival at our church. And for seven years that revival continued. And there was great works that God did. And then starting from 2007, we had an intense spiritual warfare. And for 10 years, we fought against the Antichrist. It was very, very difficult. But through this warfare, God opened up the world to us. And that was amazing works of God. And really, God gave us much fruit. And so now, revival has come once again. Uh, ever since the pandemic, God has been stirring up revival once again. And last February, that uh, revival exploded in a great way through the young adults. But this doesn't just only apply to our church. This revival, this season is being activated all over the world. And so all of this current is going through Central America. And so in this season, you need to yearn for God's glory to come upon your church. And in this season, above all else, God wants to establish His remnant. And that, because that is the most important thing to prepare His way. If the remnant doesn't prepare his way, he will not return. And so it's important for that remnant to rise up to prepare the way of the king. And of course, that is involving establishment of the, whole, of the glorious church. And so after this conference, there will be great change in Central America. I don't know the scale, I don't know the depth. But what is clear is what God said to me last year is that do a conference that gathers 2,000 people in Central America. And God probably knew that 2,000 members was impossible. And so we adjusted that number to 1,000. But the important thing is that Central American remnant is gathering together in unity. As I said yesterday, you are not here coincidence. You are here because you are being called by God for this day and age. Amen?
And I know that it wasn't easy for you to be here. I know that there was a lot of warfare that you had to fight to get here. Why? Because the devil didn't want you to be here. Now, of course, there's grace when you came here, yes? But however your path may be, your journey may have been, you are been called by God. And so in this time of Wednesdays and uh, in glory, that Lord, uh, that, uh, that you would pour it out upon us. And so let's look. So holy and blameless, and he has given you the authority as a client king. He has given you the forgiveness of trespasses, forgiveness of sins. And so within you, because the blood, the spirit, and the and the word flows within you, you can proclaim, uh, you can proclaim uh, forgiveness of sins. The gospel says that uh, as you forgive others, your sins will be forgiven. And so, when we proclaim the blood of Jesus Christ, God will not stay still. God will save that soul. And so the blood that has been sprinkled inside of you, it is the holy blood that will bring you to purity and holiness, blamelessness and holiness. It is the holy blood that has erased all sins from the holy of holies. If you look at Hebrews 12, 24, that there is the blood that speaks in the heavenly assembly. Why is there a blood that speaks in the heavenly assembly? Why is this blood that speaks moving everywhere? No. Rather, it's the blood that is in the righteous ones. And that blood speaks a good word. And even now, that blood within you is speaking. Why? Because the blood is life. Because blood is life. When I first went to Israel, I could hear the sounds of all the, uh, um, uh, uh, all the blood that has been spilt. It was really difficult at first because all this unjustly spilt blood was crying out from the ground. And I heard uh, in Latin America, when I first came to Latin America, all that blood, you know, from Inca, from Maya and Aztecs, all of the um, unjust blood that has been spilled is crying out from the earth because blood has life. And you should not leave those sounds alone. Sprinkle the blood. Cover over that blood with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's because of that blood, the voices of those blood, that witchcraft does not seize in this land. And so proclaim the blood. And though that blood might cry out, more essentially is the blood of Christ that that witness testifies to you being righteous. The blood continually confirms that you are a child of God and your word confirms that, that the word says that you are an heir, that you are the priestly king, that you are his tabernacle, you are his temple. 
and at the same time the blood continually speaks within you. What does it say within you? It says that you are righteous, you are righteous, you are holy. It continually says to you. And so when your spirit, when you are right with right relationship with God, you will hear the sound constantly. But when you cannot believe in the power of the blood, you hear guilt, you hear accusations that you are a sinner, that, hey, didn't you make this sin that, well, that one time? And so continually reveal sin. But you need to stop those sounds. You, and let the blood flow and move within you. That is the power of the forgiveness of trespasses. That that life force dwells within you. That blood dwells within you. Amen. And so if you believe in this, so you need to understand that the devil cannot touch you. And so you have the forgiveness of trespass. And then verse 8, let's look at the fourth blessing. And we need to eat all of these blessings in faith. And these blessings will come upon you. And so these blessings will manifest in your churches. Amen? It's been 20 years since I first proclaimed these blessings. And our church is moving based on these blessings. Church is not dependent on numbers. It's not about how many people are in your church. No, it's even if there's 10 people who believe in the glory of the church, that glory will manifest. God's kingdom is not dependent on numbers. So the fourth blessing, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And so God has given us wisdom and insight. And what is this wisdom? And insight in uh, Proverbs terminology is understanding. And so uh, wisdom is Jesus himself. And in his Jesus, one of Jesus' name is Sophia, which is wisdom. And that in itself is the word. And you can see this wisdom in many places. But if you look at Proverbs 8, that is the Proverbs of wisdom. And wisdom has the right to a rule, has the right to rule over materials, and teaches the secrets of creation. And the church should not lack wisdom. God determines the history of man, the history of the peoples, the history of the nations. I'll talk about this more in depth in chapter 2. But in the headquarters of God, in heaven, the headquarters of heaven, all the history of man is determined. And what is the church? The church is his temple. And you are also his temple. 
And so everything that he determines in his headquarters is also unleashed to you. And going beyond that, if you look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, Amos 3.7 says that he now, God does not move without first revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. How amazing is that? That God does not keep secrets from his prophets. That it's when that prophet proclaims it that the kingdom of heaven moves. The prophet is the spokesman of the kingdom of heaven. And so the spokesman needs to speak in order for the nation to move in the same way a prophet needs to speak for the kingdom of heaven to move. And who is going to do this? It is the church. And so that's why it's so important to preach according to the will of God. Don't preach how you want to preach. You, because you proclaim according to God's will, that is why His kingdom moves. When you proclaim the word of God, you become a spokesman of God. When we see in Amos 3.7, the word secrets of God is the word, Hebrew word sold. And what the sold is, is talking about the bedchamber of God. The person who could enter into the bedchamber of God. Who is that? That is the bride of God. I have no secrets from my wife. Even if I did have a secret, the moment we enter together in the same bedchamber, all she has to do is poke me at my side. Do you have any secrets? Then I say everything. I tell everything because I cannot have any secrets. Amen? Because we are the bride of God. And so He does not keep any secrets from us. That is what the church is. And so for this reason, the church knows every determination of God. And because you are the temple of God, you know every decision of God. How wise are you? As Ephesians 3, 7 says, what does it say? It says that um, so, not three seven, sorry, three. Uh, so verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so it says, the church, so that through the church, the true church. And so through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are these rulers and authorities? It is the angels. Because angels do not have the Holy Spirit, they cannot hear the revelation of God. But the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so we can speak the revelation of God. And so, uh, the fact that there are archangels, what do archangels do? They move according to the command of God. And so, in other words, they also move when the church commands. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 
it says that uh, chosen angels over the church. And because the church is the client king of God, that that church has assigned angels, legions of angels. And as your holiness grows in your church, as the scale of your spiritual warfare grows, as uh, your influence of your evangelism grows, there will become more chosen angels in your church. And because our church is always ministering all over the world, for example, I've had many experiences like this. Someone received a blessing in my conference, and then he called me. That some demon-possessed grandma came and attacked him. And so what did I do? Even though he's hundreds, thousands of miles away, I said, in 10 seconds, that grandmother is going to faint. And she really fainted. And I heard, could hear her thumping in the phone. And then that Chinese brother went, uh, got excited. And then he was afraid that she was dead. And I said, she's going to get back up in 10 seconds. And she, that's what she did. Well, how is that possible? Because I sent the angel from the church. Okay, one of our associate pastors was studying in America and he had hemorrhoids so severe that he could not study. What is hemorrhoids in Spanish? And so I ministered, even though he was thousands of miles away. And that hemorrhoids was healed. Who did I send? I sent the angel, the chosen angel of the church. And there are many church members who belong to Zoom ministry in China. And as we're doing this conference, they are listening to my sermons through uh, online. And someone all of a sudden started to manifest demons. And I said that the demon is going to surface. And all of a sudden he started manifesting. And I told him to stay still, that the demon is going to flee. And the demon fled. Who did I send? The angels. And so many times we engage in this kind of spiritual warfare. There's a pastor who's in a place called Onju in China. And he had a skin disease for so long. And I said immediately that since skin disease is going to be healed, and he was healed. Who did I send? Yeah, in this way. It's not just these kinds of things, but also engaging in spiritual warfare, materially and locally. And so the angels, are, you, we teach angels wisdom. We are able to reveal the revelation of God to angels. This is the authority of the church. And so as your church is sanctified, you will see many, many, many angels be with you. And when this season comes to an end, we'll enter into a new glory. And at that season, the church that manifests itself will be, as it says in Zechariah 5, the church that can minister with the archangels of God. And so those of you who have seen angels know 
the angels are so bright. How much more archangels, if you were to look at it with your fleshly eyes, your eye, you would go blind. And so, like the archangel Michael, okay, like Michaela, big, right? Big. Gabriel. And so don't you have great expectations for this season? Amen. So for 25 years as we're engaging in spiritual warfare, God has sent many angels so that we can engage in this battle. And when we follow and command the angels according to the command of God, these angels follow. And so these angels exist for us as heirs. Amen. And so how important is this wisdom? that God has given us this wisdom that we can reign over the universe, reign over this, uh, everything, the wisdom that can teach angels in the heavens. So you need to believe that you have this wisdom. I taught, taught, taught. And so look, he has given us this wisdom and insight and the reason he gave us this wisdom and insight is to reveal the mysteries of his, uh, the wonders of his mystery. It's because it, he was pleased to do so. And so this is up to verse 9 in the Hebrew, or in the Greek. But it's up to this point. That's verse 9. Right, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. And so the important goal for giving us wisdom is what? Is to make known to us the mystery of his will. And so especially to Paul, when he talks about mystery, is he's speaking about the word of God. If you look at Colossians, that, uh, that God's mystery is the Word of God. Why does Paul call this Gospel of God a mystery? It's because, uh, it's, of course, this is the state where the revelation is revealed. But it's because of the pride of that glory that God has manifested. So it's like this, Paul, I will speak only to you. One moment, please. And so this is the pride that we have as preachers of the word. But the most important thing is that the mystery of his word is continually being revealed. Shall we look at Colossians? Colossians 1. Colossians 1.25 at the second half um, to make the word of God fully known. Mm -hmm. 
And then in verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And so if you keep eating the word of God in faith, then it's no longer logos, but rhema coming upon you. And the mystery of his revelation is revealed to you. And so when God first met with me for 13 years, he's been wrestling with me to reveal this revelation. And so there cannot be a common sermon, constantly a new, new revelation. It doesn't matter how smart of a man wrote a book. After you read it a couple times, it's always it's going to be end up being the same. But what about the word of the, of God? It's constantly new. There's constantly new revelation. And so, from that perspective, that's why this is mystery. And in that mystery, there is glory. As it says in verse 27, that there is mystery in that glory. Uh, there's glory in that mystery. And when that mystery is manifest, God is manifest. So there's glory. And this glory gives riches. And that secret itself, the mystery itself, is Jesus himself. That's what it says in Colossians 1. And so in Ephesians, when Paul talks about this mystery, he's speaking of the word of God. And so we need the wisdom of God in order to know the uh, revelation of the word. And so why do we not know the word of God? Is it because I'm, I have a bad head? No, it's because I lack God's wisdom. The wisdom of heaven is a present from God. And so you need to seek it from God. And so have faith that he has given it to you already. That the word of God is wisdom. The Holy Spirit is wisdom. And Jesus himself is wisdom. And because that his spirit dwells within me, I can know the mystery of his word. And so we need to look at chapter 1 verse 17 as well. So I pray that you will be filled with the anointing of wisdom. Okay, when I was young, I was very dumb. My IQ was only 89. IQ 89 is similar to what? It's, uh, a monkey's IQ is 80. And so when I was going to school, I was fell into despair. <sighs> Excuse me. And I went to the zoo one time and I looked at the monkey and I said, are you as smart as me? And so at that time I believed in evolution and so maybe I thought I was not evolved as much. And so I tried talking to a monkey, but the monkey couldn't talk back. And so I realized that I'm not a monkey. But after meeting with God, 
No one says to me that I am dumb or I am ignorant. Do I look ignorant to you, brothers? That's the look. This wisdom is a present, and so is a gift, and so let's yearn for it. And it is the essence of God's blessing to the church. And God's church cannot be foolish. And so if your church members or you or your church is ignorant, that is not God's will. When God created you, he never used the ingredient ignorance. That means that there is some kind of spiritual binding and you need to solve this because the church of God is wise, is more wise than the devil. And you got to understand that the least of all demons have an IQ of 250, more than 250. And yet the wisdom of God can run circles around demons. Why? Because the wisdom of God reveals the order of God. And the demons move within the order of God. And because they move according to the wisdom of God, they can be moved at any time. And so with the authority of the of the wisdom you can cry you can call demons and make them move and make them stop. And so you need to avail the authority you have, the wisdom you have. Amen. And so we'll look at verse 17. So we need to believe that God has given us this wisdom. And if you live filled with the Holy Spirit, this wisdom will continue to be activated in you. Amen? And so he continually reveals to you the wisdom of man, of the neighborhood, of the country, and lets you know how this world moves. Okay, uh, I um, give consultation to all my church members. If many of them are, are, are doctors, they are lawyers, they are uh, economics, economists, ec economists. And it's not that I teach them because I studied well. No, because I let them reveal to them where the flow of God's wisdom is. And so our church members, before they do anything, they always ask me first, Pastor, what should I do here? And because it's God's wisdom, God reveals to them what to do. So this is the essence of the church. So believe that you have wisdom and make use of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so we got to look at verse 17 together. That the God of our that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. So in verse 8 it says he gives us uh, wisdom and understanding to know his mystery of his will. But in verse 17 he gives us wisdom and understanding so that we may know God, we may have the revelation and the knowledge of him. We come to know God himself. And so Proverbs, I remember, 
saying that in Proverbs it says that if you have wisdom, you will receive lots of women. But remember, insight is understanding, it's from God's perspective. And so when this wisdom comes upon you, you will have self-control. And so, yes, self-control. And that is um, kind of a nice way to translate it. But another way to translate it is like this. Let's say that there is a very uh, excellent captain. And so he leaves port and he needs to park in another port. And so he, he uh, guides the boat around icebergs and leads and, and, and treacherous waters and brings that ship into port. And so you are pastors, right? And so you are all leaders. And as leaders, you need to exercise self-control. When to stop. When to pour out strength. When to change directions. When to go backwards. If the leader cannot do this, then the church is a, is a ship. The church will end up in the mountains. And so the leader must have self-control. And so wisdom brings about even this self-control. And so I bless you to be filled with wisdom. This wisdom gives you understanding, it gives you knowledge, it gives you self-control. And in the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit is self-control. And so when we live by the Holy Spirit, we will learn self-control. And one evidence of living with the Holy Spirit is what? Is breakthrough. It's moving forward. Going forward. Now, of course, this may be part of it, but more important is knowing how to stop. The person who lives by the Holy Spirit knows how to stop. That if the Holy Spirit doesn't move, I don't move. If the Holy Spirit goes left, I go left. If he goes to the right, I go to the right. And so this is because of the fruit of self-control. And so the important thing here, though, we're looking at verse 17, is that the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, spirit of wisdom and revelation, why it is wisdom given as a gift, and so why can we not use that wisdom? Why is our church members so foolish? Why do they not know the understand uh, the reign of God, the dominion of God? It's because they do not know the relationship between wisdom and, and revelation. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, is there a spiritual gift of wisdom or not? Copy, copy, copy. Is there a spiritual gift of wisdom or not? What is the relationship with faith and faith? 
uh, and what is the relationship between wisdom and the gift of wisdom. The essence is the same. But when you live by the wisdom that God has given, uh, whenever a special occurrence happens, there are times where God gives you words of wisdom. And what is that word of wisdom? It is another expression of spiritual gifts. For example, uh, Jesus met with uh, the Samaritan woman, and and she's already married five men and is now living with another one. And Jesus knew that. And how did he know that? He knew that through the words of wisdom, or through the words of knowledge, but through the words of wisdom, he was able to ask her what? He didn't ask her, oh, dirty woman, look at how many men you've been with. No, he asked her, bring your husband. And so, uh, all spiritual gifts work with the gift of wisdom. Even when you cast out demons. If you don't use wisdom, when you're casting out demons, it's as if you are casting out that person. And so we need wisdom. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes? yes Can you hear me? Yes, okay. Give me a minute, please. Okay, revelation is not a spiritual gift. What is revelation? It is God revealing, manifesting. So what is revelation? The purpose is, your purpose is God. Your motivation is God. And your direction is towards God. Then you come to know where God is revealed. And so it's not a spiritual gift. Revelation doesn't just happen overnight. Your goal needs to be God. Your purpose needs to be God. Your motivation needs to be God. Your direction needs to be God. Then you come to know where God is revealed. For example, look at Moses. God says to Moses that there are all these rocks around him in the wilderness. And yet he says, hit a rock. Strike a rock. But God didn't point out which rock he needed to strike. And yet Moses knew which rock to strike. And so what is wisdom and revelation? 
is knowing where God is revealed, knowing in what direction God is moving and where God is going. What is wisdom? Is that if he, God says to strike, then you strike it. If God says to command, then you will command. But because you do not have revelation, you do not have wisdom. For example, in Genesis 25, I believe it's 25. As they leave Egypt, Moses draws near to the Red Sea. But Moses knew and Pharaoh knew as well that if you go before the Red Sea, that's good as committing suicide. I've been there before. On both sides is mountains, and before him is the Red Sea. And if Pharaoh chases from behind, there's nowhere for them to go except to be destroyed. And yet Moses listens to God's voice because he knew that God would be revealed. Even though I know it's going to be the death of me, I go there. Because even if my knowledge tells me that I'm going to die there, because God's direction is there, I go that, in that direction. This is revelation. And so the eyes that can see where God is revealed, are you guys listening? Wisdom is an amazing thing. It shows God's, it manifests God. And the reason why you cannot use wisdom is because you lack revelation. And once again, what is revelation? Your, the purpose of your life, the motivation of your life, and the direction of your life is towards God. And these kinds of person can see the revelation of God. This is revelation. And so I pray that all of your purpose, your direction, and your motivation would be one, would be one. The purpose of your life, the motivation of your life, and the direction of your life will all be facing towards God. If so, then it will be so easy to find God. You will just know instinctually that, ah, it's not here, uh, it's here. You'll be able to know this instantaneously. And wisdom is the command of God. And so when revelation is open, wisdom just comes automatically. So at this time, let us receive anointing. It needs to overflow in you. And let this uh, blessing flow so that you can use this blessing. Uh, that God's wisdom uh, is more greater than the devil. It says it in Psalms 117, that our wisdom is victorious over the enemy. And now let's move on to the fifth uh, blessing. Verse 10. Uh, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so as a plan for the fullness of time. And so as a plan for the fullness of time. And so this word time is the word kairos. 
And this word plan can sometimes be translated in two different ways throughout the Bible. Sometimes it is God's goodness or God's uh, providence. And other times it is uh, interpreted as a steward of God. And we'll see this word come twice in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 2, it is the word of stewardship. And so depending on context will determine the definition. But in chapter 1, it's talking about God's providence. We can know why God is working at that time. That uh, the authority to uh, determine at that time when God wants. And so remember, the kingdom of heaven isn't made in your preparation. It's not made in your um, um, uh, yeah, preparation. But as you pray, God will say, now is the time, begin, and you begin. And so this is the authority that the church has to proclaim this. And so many times I have proclaimed this throughout my career. Someone came to me and inquired of me that uh, I have prepared to build a house and all things are ready. And I said to him, the time's not here yet. And yet he disobeyed and built a, a, a house. And that house was burnt down to the ground. This actually happened. And a few years ago, um, one of our church members uh, was jobless and he had no money and nothing. And yet I called him and I said to him to do this business. But he had nothing prepared, but he listened to my words and he began. And he earned $3 million in that year. This is the authority of the church. The kairos of God, determining God's time. This is the essence that the church has, essence of the authority of the church. And so, as a pastor, we need to be sensitive to God's command. And so it's not out of your preparation or hard work that you need to believe that you have the authority to unite all things in Him as a plan in the, for the fullness of time. And so all uh, ministry in, for the past 25 years in our Zillow ministry has been done through the fullness of time. That when God says to begin, we begin. If God says to go to Africa, we go to Africa. If God says to go to Israel, we go to Israel. Even though we don't have money, even though we don't have people, God says, let's go to Israel. I, did I say, I don't have money? No, God says, let's go, and I said, amen. And I just went. Because of the authority to determine the fullness of time. Amen. This is very, very important. 
And so why does God determine the fullness of time? And so right now I'm having this conference here in Costa Rica. And this Costa Rica, this time of Costa Rica, it's not just me having this conference. But all over the universe, God is working together with us. And so though I do not know everything, this conference is connected to the rev revival in Asbury in America. And through the amazing reward that we're going to receive in this conference, there's going to be great blessing unleashed upon the world. And so through the spoils of war that we'll receive, there's going to be great change in the businesses of Zoe ministry. And it's time to open up the spiritual door to this new season. And through the victory of this uh, conference, there will be great change throughout Central America. Several years ago, I, we had a conference in Uganda. At that time, uh, Uganda had a rate of AIDS of 27%. And so I said, do you know what kind of conference this is? This is a conference to declare that God has determined that your nation will reduce the rate of AIDS. And so if you are victorious in this conference, the, aid, the rate of AIDS will go down below 10%. This was impossible. It's physically impossible for, to go from 27% to under 10%. And really, and yet, uh, the rate of AIDS went down below 10%. So this is the uh, uh, eyes of the church. We're not just simply having any conference, but we're going as all things are being made in the fullness of God's time. And so we're going to have great victory in Nicaragua. that it's time for the political system of Nicaragua to change. And so that's why the Nicaraguans need to receive grace in this conference and for the fullness of this time. And so the fullness of time isn't about my will to do something. But it's time for God's picture to fall on into place. This is really important. It's the same thing with prayer. Many reasons why your prayer is not answered immediately is because it's time. It, it, what's important is whether the time has fulfilled God's picture. And so, uh, the church has the authority to determine the fullness of time. So receive this blessing, receive it, receive all these blessings. So let's look at verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So this is the fifth blessing. 
And so in him we have obtained inheritance. And who is this inheritance? You are the inheritance. And because you are the inheritance, everything that you do is an inheritance. Everything I touch is God's inheritance. And so for this reason, it's not a, it's, the issue isn't about whether you earn lots of money or not. It's not about whether you are successful or not. That's not where you need to be concerned. Because you are God's inheritance. And He will take responsibility for His inheritance. So what's important here is that is this inheritance to God's glory? Is it given to God? That's what is important. So I say to my church members like this. So primarily, your goal is not to earn money. That through your in, uh, business, let God's glory be revealed. And so what's important here is that you need to move your business according to God's will. For example, don't earn money that through things, through means that displease God. For example, at our church, no one can sell alcohol. And no one can do work that makes them work on Sunday. No one is allowed to do a work that saps their energy so much that they cannot pray. They cannot do a business that is hypocritical to God. For example, um, being a loan shark or doing immoral things, adulterous things. These things cannot be, cannot be. Why? Because I am an inheritance of God and so I need to move according to the will of God. It doesn't matter whether we make money or not. That's not the goal. Now, of course, God should bless His inheritance. This is really important, brothers. Listen carefully. The reason why the church is not able to be united is because so many church members offer polluted money. And whereas the church receives this polluted money, let's say, is there anyone in your church that has offered uh, gambling money? Money that they won through gambling? That is going to lead to your ruin. And so just because they offer lots of money, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. The church members need to offer holy money. This will sanctify the church. And so as I talked about, as you being client kings, the church has material authority. What is material authority? It doesn't matter whether you have money or not. That you have the authority to control material, to control finances. Money does not control you. Money does not make you move to the left or to the right. If you continually love money, though money is not a person, you personify that money. If you look at Matthew 6, 24, 
it says that you cannot love both God and money. And it says that money is what is the demon called mammon. If you love money, it becomes a demon to you. And so, what is material authority? It is the authority to rule over money, to not be influenced by money, to not be controlled by money. And so remember that you are an inheritance of God. You are an inheritance of God according to His will. And so God will take responsibility for His inheritance. And there's another important word here that in him we have obtained inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will and so what not only are we inheritance but we're all under his plan and so this word plan is really important here and uh, in the book that you have received in this conference there is this sermon regarding Joseph this is really important And when God created a life, especially as a child of God, God has a goal for you to, to take you to, to give you the best. And He is always leading you towards His best. It's like watching uh, uh, shooting a movie film that God has prepared all the characters and has prepared all the scenario. But simply, there are no lines. There are no yet lines made. Those lines are entrusted to you in your relationship of love that you have towards God. And yet, uh, the scene has already been determined. And so, uh, our life has already been laid out by God. It's difficult, right? So many times we think that we live our own lives, but we are not living our own lives. If you look at Psalms 25, look at the picture of life, how God leads us. It's not just going wherever life leads you. No, He is leading you. Look at Psalms 25. This shows you who worships God, who fears God. And what is the blessing of fearing God? There are two things. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. And so God has chosen us and determined for us. But the important thing is to know and to follow along. And if you fear God, God will continually teach you. Ephesians talks about calling. That, ah, God has called me to this church. That God wants me to come here. 
And so to those who fear God, God will reveal these things. And so why do you fail to recognize it? It's because you do not fear God. Why do you fail to fear God? Because of spiritual bindings, because of hurts and wounds, and because you are weak to receive influence from outside factors. But look at Joseph. Joseph, no matter what suffering comes in his life, he doesn't get angry, he doesn't fall into despair, nor does he rebel against God. Right, he doesn't. Even though he is, even though he is being killed, put to death by his brothers, he obeys. When he goes to Potiphar, even though unjustly he gets imprisoned, he just accepts it. And even in prison, he's still obedient to God. And so, there is no change in the direction that God has set before him. Even though he's a slave, in 13 years, he becomes prime minister of Egypt. This is the picture of our lives. In this way, God is leading us in the best of, of what He has best prepared for us. But if you receive hurts, if you, uh, if you don't have hurts and you are not bound, and, and you do not have the strength of the flesh, then you come to know what God's choice is for you. Brothers, this is really important. And so, what is the conclusion of our lives? The conclusion is that we are holy, we become holy and blameless. So God is leading us down this path that wherever He leads us, all we have to do is follow after Him. It's not me living my life. Christ lives in me. And so I live according to His calling. Amen. I'm not a pastor because I wanted to be a pastor. I never said to God, I want to be a pastor. And I've never even said to God, I want to do missions all over the world. And going beyond that, I never said I want to be a pastor that serves other pastors. But as I lived by God and I lived with God, God reveals these things to me. And as I followed after Him, it has led me to this point here. This is the providence of God. And so do not have hurts and wounds. Do not have bindings within you. Don't let your thoughts take control of you. So let's continue. Ephesians. We need to finish these blessings, right? We need to finish chapter 1. So that we can move to chapter 2 tomorrow. Okay, we can finish by 1 o'clock in the morning, hopefully. So we need to hurry up and finish all five blessings, right? So now the fifth blessing is that you are the God's inheritance. God will take responsibility over your life. You are God's pastors, right? And so you need to uh, impart to your church members that they are God's inheritance, that they are God's inheritance, that whatever they touch, it becomes God's inheritance, that God will take responsibility. 
That is the truth. And so what's important here is that move according to God's will. Do not let them earn money in an unjust manner. Do not say this. Oh, that earning lots of money is God's blessing. It could be, but it might not be. Just earning lots of money is not God's blessing. It's God's blessing when you earn money according to God's will. And so God, in order for that to happen, God needs to lead you. Amen? And so even if you offer lots of money, if it's not earned according to God's will, that money becomes a trap for that church. And so you are offering the church to mammon. And so do not allow your church members to love money more than God. That, become, that means you fail as a God's inheritance. Amen. So let's move on to the sixth blessing. Verse 12, 11. Or verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. So who is the praise of whose glory? You are the praise of God's glory. Is this, does this make sense? You are the praise of God's glory. God has given you glory. And going beyond that, He calls you the praise of His glory. Why? Is it because you're going to heaven? No. It's because you are God's heirs. Because you are created in His image. And so in the Bible, it rarely says that God created you. It says that God has begotten you. This word image of God in, in, in Hebrew is the word selem. And you can interpret this word selem in many ways. But selem is being cut off from that original source. That God has cut off a part of him to you. Like a transplant. And so humankind is a creature, created being, but not completely created. Though your flesh has been created, right? God created your body out of the dust of the earth, right? But your spirit is not a created thing. Your spirit is a piece of God's life. How amazing is this revelation? In this way, God, that's why God has given such explosive love to you, has given such tremendous love to you. Everything else was just created by the word of God's mouth. And yet, why does God love you? Because you're created in the same way? No. It's because you are a piece of God's life. And so when you have children, why do you pour out your love to that child? Because they are a part of your life. 
and God in the same way has, has cut a part of his life for you. Just as you can implant a piece of a liver to let another, a dead liver grow, that's what you see in Malachi. That God's spirit, that God's spirit can move and create all things. But that's not what he does to you. Why? Because God is not just trying to make an industrial robot just implanting parts. No, that's why he gives you a piece of his life. He is not creating man like a, some um, manufacturing process. No, he cuts a part of himself for you. And so, no matter who you may be, if you are struggling, it brings pain to God's heart because mankind has received a piece of God. And so for this reason, God is willing to pour out all of his riches, pour out all of his goodness, that he's willing to give you life at the cost of his own son's life. And so he has given his son for you. And he has given the same authority, same glory, same nobility as his son. Amen. So receive it. So why, understand why God loves you so much. Amen? And so that's why it says in Hebrews 2.11 that he who is holy and those who are being brought to holiness are of the same source. You are the same source as Jesus Christ. And so that's why the, uh, the preposition used with Jesus Christ is always the Greek word shrin. I talked about this in 1 John. And so we talk about the Trinity. The word Trinity itself is not a problem. But the great prostitute used this word Trinity to corrupt the truth. And so when we think about Trinity, we think about God as if like a monster, a three-headed monster. What is the Trinity? You could say that God is three in one, right? But that is just theory. But the early church uh, saints did not use this word Trinity. Now they met with God in that Trinity dynamic. And because they kept meeting with this triune God, they understood the Trinity. And because they keep meeting with the Trinity, they define the meaning of uh, the meeting of that dynamic. And so that's why they always use uh, the preposition towards God the Father. The, the preposition always used is pros. Pros is not used towards Jesus Christ, nor is it used to the Holy Spirit. To Jesus is always the preposition shin. Shin is never used to God the Father. That in this Bible, you will never find the preposition shin in conjunction with God the Father. I talked about this triune dynamic when I preached out of 1 John. And what is Shreen? 
Shreen is you have a circle, which is Jesus Christ, and in that circle is another circle, exactly the same size, exactly the same, meaning you are the same essence as Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? That he calls you the same as him, the same essence as him. And so that is because of his sacrifice that he paid for us. So receive this love, this great love. Understand how much God loves you. Amen? Amen? And so that's why he calls you the praise of his glory. That he praises you. And so look up to the sky. If you see the roof, you have no faith. Can you see heaven? Do you see heaven or not? Do you see God with his guitar? And he's singing over you right now. He's singing over you right now. Oh, here is my son. He's good looking. The problem is, is he, likes too, he likes too many women. But it's okay, I still love you. That's how God sings over him. And God praises over you. When I first saw this word of Ephesians, I thought that this was wrong. And so I looked throughout every single book of the Bible, looking at various commentaries. How can we be God's praise of His glory? But God clearly says that we are the praise of His glory. So look, wherever you go, angels follow. That wherever you go, trumpets hail your presence. That is who you are. That you are the praise of God's glory. So this is where our pride is. That, ah, this is who I am. That I cannot compromise with the world. And so the last blessing. Let's look at this last blessing in verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so this is a typical expression of Paul, that uh, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So we need to hear the gospel, but that gospel needs to first be received as truth. And so throughout the, Paul's epistles, he says the gospel, which is the truth. And many people hear the words of God, but not many choose it as their truth. Truth means that it is the only a standard of your life. It is the only standard of your life. And so you need to train your church members to choose the Word of God as gospel, as truth. Paul ministered to the Thessalonians for only three weeks. And yet the news of their faith spread over all over Asia Minor. What was the secret to this? 
is that they receive the gospel of Paul as God's gospel. They chose it as their truth. And so the gospel of God was manifest in them immediately. And I'll talk about this a little bit more in depth later. But uh, the, that they heard the word of the gospel as truth and they believed. And so what this means is that they heard all things in faith. And so this is the attitude you should have towards the word of God. To when you eat the word of God in faith, that the church becomes truth. And so if you keep hearing the word of God in faith, as that truth builds up inside of you, you become, you have this truth system. And so like the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 32, when Jesus Christ came to this world, he created you to be a heavenly being. And this is something that the Old Testament prophets could never understand. How can a man determine the things of God? So this is the new covenant. That the new covenant came onto my heart and into my mind. And so this word that is in my spirit will, not be, will never be corrupted. This is happening in real life inside of you. This is real thing that the word is in your spirit. It's also in your mind. But the word that is in your mind can be mixed with all kinds of things. That's why we need to continually repent, continually loosen our bindings, so that only truth remains in our minds. This is sanctification. That the word in your mind, the word in your spirit, uh, have fellowship with one another and create uh, a double thing. And so it's time for you to fulfill the uh, promise of the new covenant. Because what is the church in these end times is to perfect each and every single church member in the predestination of God. That's why God pours out His, his word, pours out His blood, and pours out His spirit. And so if you keep listening to the Word of God in faith, within you develops this true system. And so when I preach, it's as if a tape is playing within me. And so as I've been eating the Word for 33 years in faith, now these 66 books of the Bible circulate within me. And so I'm able, to, and so the word that is in my mind and the word that is in my spirit meets together. Three to three years ago, when I met with the Lord, I have never been to church before. And yet, the moment I met with God, I came to church, and immediately I started preaching. 
And I thought that this was normal. But I, I realized that all my friends thought I was weird. But how is this possible? It's because when I met with God, I met with Him in His Word. And the Word came out with Him. And so this is what it means to be a new covenant being. And so even now, if you are receiving blessings, it's not that uh, something that you didn't know you had being revealed, but rather the word that is inside of you is meeting with the word that is being proclaimed. This is what it means to have this new covenant relationship. Again, the words that I proclaim meets with the word that dwells within you. And as it meets, that's when this word starts to circulate. And so what is the true system? It is uh, having the same current of all 66 books of the Bible. And so from that perspective, coffee, uh, you're able to change to uh, the flow of, of, of the Holy Spirit, not because you study. Why did I say coffee? I'm so sorry. Um, that the true system right now is being made in this way all over Zoom ministry. Uh, that's uh, soteriology, Christology, ecclesiology is all being formulated in the true system. It's the glory that as we continually eat the word in faith as truth, God creates this system, this system in the church. God makes this system. And so when this truth becomes a system inside of us, what happens is that we receive the seal of God's promise. And so whatever it may say on that fence, the, uh, our father-in-law will take care of it. For example, when you look at John 15, 17, when the word dwells within me, it says, ask whatever it is in my name and you will receive. And so if God's word dwells within me, whatever I pray, I will be answered. What is that mechanism? Because God's, uh, within me is God's system. And so when I proclaim that word, that is proclamation. And so I, uh, I proclaim it and the Lord uh, recommends me before God and God answers. This is the mechanism that's going on. And so to those who embody the truth of God, the moment they proclaim, that proclamation gets answered. And so yes, God answers and the Holy Spirit confirms. And so who is the Holy Spirit? It is the Spirit that follows after the truth. And the Spirit that follows after truth is the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we call this Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. No matter how fast a train may go, it has to be on rails. And so the Word and the Holy Spirit cannot be separated. The Jesus and the Holy Spirit cannot be separated. If you are filled with the Word, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with Jesus. And so let's say another church says this. 
uh, in our church, we have lots of power, manifestations of God's power. But that church is not a church moved by the kingdom of heaven. That is false. And let's say there's another church like this. In our church, we have lots of word of God. That is also wrong. Our church has love and lots of love. That is also wrong. Our God, the kingdom of heaven is integrated. There is no separation. There is no compartmentalization. There is no compartmentalization of power, of love, of, of life. It's all one. All of these things are one. That is the kingdom of heaven. And this doesn't come out of our efforts, but this is the kingdom of heaven. It is about integration. If all you eat is vitamin A, will you be healthy? Are you hearing the word? Amen? If you eat this word in truth, God's kingdom will move in you. And so when you look at the prophecy of Isaiah, uh, the Messiah is not separate from the Spirit. This is really important. And so this is the reason why all these charismatic movements come to fall apart. There is no church remaining that has been established by charismatic movements. Why? Because it is not the kingdom of heaven. Just because power manifests doesn't mean that it will be successful. They need the word, they need the movement of the Holy Spirit, and their life needs to be part of it. It all needs to be integrated as one. That their character is transformed, their personality is transformed. Amen? This is an important blessing. Amen? And so let's close in verse 14. And so the church means that God's truth flows. Like it says in 1 Timothy 3.15, that the church of God is the pillar and foundation of truth. And so let's say that I stabbed Sergio. Then what should flow forth from him? Cola. Pepsi. Then that means he is a Pepsi man. No, what should flow is blood, right? That's why he is a human man. Same thing with the church. When you stab the church, what should come flowing? The truth. Without truth, it is not the church. In the church, truth must flow. When that truth flows, the Holy Spirit moves together. Jesus moves together. Amen? And so verse 14 who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And this guarantee is like insurance, right? So the Holy Spirit insures you. And so when truth is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit confirms that, acknowledges that, and He insures it. And so that's why in John 15, 7, John can declare, ask whatever it is in his name and you will receive. If you cannot receive, if you do not receive, you repent. If God doesn't answer, you need to be convinced by God as to why he didn't answer. Why didn't he answer? 
And so look, God is a God who answers prayer. And if I held on to prayer, uh, truth, and I pray, then God must answer. Because I believe that the word that I proclaim is truth. And I believe that God answers. And that I believe that I have that relationship with God. Then if He doesn't answer, then I cannot survive. He must answer. It's the same thing with David. That if God doesn't answer his prayer, he cannot move on. That he seeks from God and God gives. If God doesn't give, he cannot do anything. Now examine your life. You pray, but even though God doesn't answer, you do whatever it is to solve it on your own. And to this kind of person, God doesn't feel the need to answer their prayers because they do not believe in their relationship with God. They do not believe in what uh, the prayer at, at the back of that restaurant uh, does for that restaurant. And so if you pray like David, God will answer that I will do it. And so whenever David prays, this is what he says. God, lend me your ear. That he has to answer. And so to those who can hold, grab hold of God's ear, this is a child of God. Amen? And he will hear. Right? As it says in 1 John 5, that when you seek according to the will of God, he hears. And when he hears, he answers. And so we need to understand that prayer results in answers. This is our relationship with God. Amen? So this is the blessing of the church. It is the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ensures you until we acquire possession of it. And so what are we possessing? We're, oh, it's us. We are the one who possesses, right? And so in this relationship with the Holy Spirit, we receive all things as heirs of God. It ensures upon us. So what does it mean to be an heir? We are heirs. And let's say that you have 10 sons. then uh, the words of the one who has an inheritance and the word of a son that doesn't have an inheritance has carries different weight, weight. To the heir of the father, the father will answer him. And so that's who we are. We are heirs of God. That we have received the kingdom of heaven as an inheritance. And he will answer when we cry out to him. This is the blessing of the church. This is the glory that we have that the Holy Spirit seals you as... And so when that true church prays, the Holy Spirit seals that I will do it. I will bring it to pass. I will do it. Amen. And so all of these blessings are yours. Hallelujah. And so receive it in faith that I will make you holy and blameless, that I have chosen you as my kings, that you all have the, uh, the, the forgiveness of sins, you have wisdom and understanding, that you have the 
fulfillment of time and that you are God's inheritance, that you are the praise of his glory, that the Holy Spirit has sealed you, that with these eight blessings, what could be impossible? It's about faith, brothers. Even if I were to die a thousand deaths, I will not doubt this word at all. And in my ministry, in my church, these blessings are being manifest. And the church cannot be destroyed. It doesn't make sense for the church to fail. No matter what happens in this world, the church of God cannot be shaken. Amen. In this day and age, the world is going into uncertainty. The world is becoming less and less transparent. This world doesn't know what to do. Look at America. They're continually raising interest rates. Why? Because inflation is going up and up and up. And because of this, uh, all the poor countries are having a hard time. But now what's going to happen? Let's say that right now what happened, an American bank uh, failed, right? Then what is America going to do to try to protect its assets? They got to now bail it out. But they can't. Why? Because they need to cut spending to grab a hold of running inflation. And so they're in a situation where they cannot do one or the other. And so I prophesy right now that in this next year, there's going to be more banks failing. And this world is being shaken right now. They don't know what to do. If they want to stop inflation, they need to raise rates, interest rates. But because these banks are failing, they need to bail them out. But they're unable to do either or. This world cannot do anything. But God can do. God alone can do. And so only those who proclaim in faith will determine the fate. No matter what the world may say, no matter what the world may do, you do not need to concern yourselves with the opinion of dogs. You have the right to reign over the universe. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. And so, let us proclaim these eight blessings in faith. You have been predestined to be holy and blameless. Amen. Amen. You have the authority as clan kings. Amen. And so God has given you personal material and, per and, 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 and spiritual authority. God has given you the forgiveness of sins. God has given you wisdom. God has given you the authority to determine the fullness of time. You are God's inheritance. You are the praise of his glory. 
nations that through their churches may you establish presidents through their churches may economy be moved through their proclamation may people of God be established believe that this authority is given to the church that the church has this authority that the church is you that you are the church this is the greatness of the church and you are servants Sleep, and I'll see you tomorrow at lunch.